It's a powerful scripture that we would look at this morning. It's talking about the gospel that saves and redeems and displays the righteousness of God. And so we've been walking through Romans, and we've already hit this verse as we were doing our introduction and doing our overview, and we said, hey, this is one of the key themes of Romans. We've seen throughout history that this this verse and this idea of the gospel being the righteousness of God on display that would save sinners like you and I, both Jew and Gentile, has profound impact in the world. This verse is used in many people's lives to, to really begin to say, you know what, it's not about what I've done, it's about what God has done. If you think about the Protestant Reformation, so much of that was based on this idea that it's not about my works and my righteousness, it's about God and His righteousness, and how has He displayed that righteousness? He's done it in His Son. This morning we're continuing Paul's line of thought, but it it almost takes a shift. It almost comes to a very poignant end of his introduction. Last week we were in... Verses 8 through 15, and then 15 says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This gospel that they had already taken hold of, and we had seen that, it, it had had profound impact in their lives to where their lives were being put on display throughout all the world. Their faith was known throughout all the world. And yet, Paul's coming because he wants to preach the gospel to them. And so he says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This morning we're going to begin the first of a couple weeks that we're going to sit in verses 16 and 17. This morning we're looking at why would Paul say that I, I long to come and preach the gospel to you and then put this caveat in that says, and I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And what we're going to see is that the gospel is actually shameful to the world, right? If you, when you go and you share your gospel, the God's gospel, and what he's doing in your life with someone else, it, it can sound a little crazy. It's definitely countercultural. It's definitely uh, counter to the way that most people would view religion or even their own lives. And like, what is, what is the goal of life? We would all think that the goal is to get better, to to do better, maybe even to leave a better legacy for those who would come behind us. But the, the gospel comes and says, you could not do better, and so God has done best for you. God in the person of Jesus. And so the gospel that we believe, the gospel that we would proclaim, is a gospel that, if it's proclaimed correctly, actually offends it actually comes and it, and it calls you a sinner. The first thing, that's our first proclamation, is that we need a Savior. And even, even for those who have sat in church for a long time and heard this preached and spoken to you, there's a point where we want to move beyond that and be like, okay, I needed a Savior, but now I'm good. But Paul says, listen, you had the Gospel. I come in, I'm, I'm hoping to come and preach the Gospel to you again. I'm going to live and move in the Gospel when he writes to the church in Corinth, he says, I preach Christ crucified. 
That is the gospel. Like, what has Jesus done? Does that have implications for the way that we live? Absolutely. Is it going to change us? Absolutely. Are we going to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is and what He's done? Is there going to be more fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Absolutely. Does any of that come from something other than the gospel? No. All of that is fruit of the gospel. The work of Jesus on our behalf. And so this morning, we're going to look at that gospel. We're going to say, why would Paul even need to say that he's not ashamed of the gospel? We're going to look at how that erases our shame. Like, as we press into the gospel, we don't have to be ashamed because it is the power of God to save. Like, the truth of the gospel is so good that I can say now, I am saved because of the work of Jesus. He's currently working in me saving me, and one day I'm actually going to be saved from my sin and my shame and all the brokenness. We are going to have heaven on earth. Like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. There's a fullness of salvation that we see in the gospel this morning. So we see that the gospel is shameful in the world, but Jesus despised the shame. Jesus entered into a shameful circumstance but did not put shame on himself. What does it mean to be ashamed? It means to put on shame. And while we would look at Christ's work in the gospel and the world would look at it and say, man, that's, that's shameful. He died a, a gruesome death. He was punished. He was treated like a criminal. How is there no shame in that? No, it's a shameful circumstance. And yet... Jesus didn't see it as shameful. He saw it as obedience to the Father. And so we see how Jesus despised the shame. And finally, we, like Paul, follow Jesus. We live lives that are unashamed of the gospel and we're saved. So I want us to see that this morning. But the only way that we get to see that is if the Spirit is working inside of us to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We desperately need Him. And so let's ask Him to do that. Lord, we thank You. We thank you that your word is true. God, I pray that today we would see the truth of the gospel and even get more clarity on it. More clarity on on what it means that Jesus came and was born of a virgin, that, that he lived a perfect life righteous life and obedience to You, Father. We see that He died a sinner's death even though He was not a sinner. We see that He was buried and rose again. God, and we rejoice in the truth of the Gospel this morning. God, we pray that You would be honored and glorified in our lives. We pray that in this this moment, Lord, that You would be honored and glorified, that we would take hold of the things that You have for us. God, that You would convict but that your conviction would be your kindness that would lead us to repentance. Lord, help us to see repentance, not as shameful, but as glorious today. May we walk in your truth, in Jesus' name. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. As we begin, we've already hit on a little bit, but the idea of what is the gospel? What is the truth that you and I have said, I'm going to leverage my whole life around this thing that is true? It's that you and I are sinners. We've looked at that as 
Paul continues from this point and lays out his argument. He, Romans 3 says that we are all sinners. None of us are good. All of us need a Savior. Right? We're, we're all in this place where we could not bring our own righteousness, so we need an, a, a, a righteousness outside of us. And so what has God done? God has come and been righteousness for us in the person of Jesus. See, the truth of this gospel is beautiful, but we have to be able to understand it and we have to be able to articulate it to our own hearts first and foremost. We have to believe it. And so I pray that we would believe it today, that we would hear it and believe it. There's this word... um, it's a Greek word that talks about being ashamed. It means to, to put on shame, that Paul writes. So why would we be tempted? Why would you and I be tempted as we begin to talk about the gospel? Why would we be tempted to put on shame? Why would we be tempted to be ashamed of this truth? If we believe it's true, why would we be ashamed of it? Well, we've talked about it some. It's, it's kind of this crazy idea. It's kind of this, we're saying that, no, actually, I can't do better. I can't just get myself right. I needed someone to come and do righteousness on my behalf. I need a Savior. You see, the Gospel is both offensive and insulting to our pride because if we say that we can't do anything in a world where everything is based on what you do and how much money you have and how successful you are, we're preaching this countercultural thing that says, actually, I can't do any of that. I need a Savior. I need someone to do it for me, and I believe that Jesus has done that for me. Now, is He going to produce those things in my life? Maybe. He might also just produce a lot more suffering because I'm going to follow in and I'm going to press into my union with Christ. And in Christ's life, He suffered. And He was treated shamefully. And he was beaten and mocked and scorned all the way to the cross. So this gospel is both offensive and insulting. I want to just read a longer quote from uh, Tim Keller and his commentary on this book because he lists four reasons why the gospel is shameful. He says, The gospel, by telling us that our salvation is free and undeserved, is really insulting. It tells us that we are such spiritual failures that the only way to gain salvation is for it to be a complete gift. This offends moral and religious people who think their decency gives them an advantage over less moral people. Does that resonate with anybody this morning? Like, is that a, is that a subtle thing that creeps into us that th- we think that because if we would be more righteous, more moral, that we're, we have an advantage over others? A second reason that he gives for the gospel being insulting, he says the gospel is also really insulting by telling us that Jesus died for us. It tells us that we are so wicked that only the death of the Son of God could save us. This offends the modern cult of self-expression and the popular belief in the innate goodness of humanity. As you begin to, to share why you would need a Savior, often the response will be that, well, I can fix myself, or I can do better, or I could just try harder. But this is saying that we, we can't. And so God Himself, the Son of God, had to come and save us. The third reason He gives is the Gospel by telling us 
that trying to be good and spiritual isn't enough, thereby insists that no good person will be saved, but only those who come to God through Jesus. This offends the modern notion that any nice person anywhere can find God in his own way. We don't like losing our autonomy. We don't like thinking that we're not in control. That we're not orchestrating this life somehow. We don't like having to submit to a Lord who is actually sovereign and ruling and and in control of our lives. The fourth way that the gospel is offensive. The gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus' suffering and serving, not conquering and destroying. And that following Him means to suffer and serve with Him. This offends people who want salvation to be an easy life. It also offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. Man, like this gospel is really starting to hit all of the areas where I'm really clinging to. It's starting to strip me of the things that I want to bring to the table. And it's saying that I have nothing to bring to the table. My righteousness is as filthy rags. And yet, Jesus has brought me to the table by His salvation. By His power. By His obedience on the cross. If our gospel is is, is easy to swallow, we have to check and see if we're preaching the right gospel. The Bible says that, that Jesus would be an, an offense and a stumbling block. Even to people that are seeking truth. Like, we're coming with the, with the reality that you cannot save yourself. And no one outside of Jesus can save you. Because Jesus is the Son of God. And that's going to offend people. Might even insult them. And so, the, knowing that then... Shame can creep in. Shame can, can, we can begin to think, well, maybe I shouldn't share this because I don't want to offend or I don't want to insult. And so I'm going to keep this thing hidden. I'm going to keep this truth hidden. So why would Paul say then that he's not ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the only thing that can save. It is the power of God displayed in the person of Jesus. That God would put His wrath on His Son instead of on you and on me. And because Jesus bore our wrath, because Jesus bore the penalty of our sin and our shame, if we are in Christ, we actually don't die, we rise with Him. We are resurrected with Him. We have life where we should have had death. We have righteousness where all we had before was sin. We have glory instead of shame, as we're going to see in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18 As you think about this this week, this might be a great verse to memorize. Work on memorizing Romans 1.16 and 17, because it's powerful. But if you have time, 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why would we not be ashamed of preaching this gospel, of teaching this gospel, of sharing this gospel? Because it is the power of God that is saving us. And if it saves sinners like you and me, it can save the sinner that I'm sitting here talking to, that I'm sharing life with. And so I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to put on shame, but I want to rejoice in the glory of God.
The second point today is that Jesus despised the shame. Jesus, the Son of God. Paul's already laid it out in verses 1 through 7 who this Jesus is. That he's the Messiah, that he is the one who has come in the line of David. How did he come into the line of David? He was born of a virgin. Is that hard for the world to believe? Yes. Yes, does that, is that a, actually shameful circumstances in that moment? Yeah. And yet, Jesus despised the shame. He enters into the, these shameful circumstances knowing that instead of shame, ultimately He's going to receive the glory that He's due because He honors and serves the Father. And so He enters into our shame. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a joy that is set before Jesus. The joy of a people whom He would redeem, a promised kingdom where He will reign. This is the joy of what Jesus has been given, and yet He has to despise the shame. He has to enter into shameful circumstances. Look look at His life. We talked about the circumstances of His birth. Look at the people that He called to Himself. They were like you and me. They weren't anything too special, but, but He calls them, and then they walk with Him, and He's persecuted by the ruling Religion, he's persecuted by the ruling empire. And Jesus endures all of this, walks in faithful obedience to the Father, despises the shame so that he would be glorified, so that the Father would be glorified through his obedience. You see, Jesus redefined the cross. The cross in the Roman world was the greatest Symbol of shame that anybody could have. Like, you're dying, you're exposed, you're naked, you're displayed before everyone, and it was gruesome, and it was, it was a horrible death. But it wasn't even so much the, uh, the physical pain as it was the emotional and, and, and the shaming that took place. And yet Jesus bears all of that and goes to the cross for our sake, for you and for me. Why? Because He knows that actually in the cross is not His greatest shame, but His greatest glory. That He would, in going to the cross, redeem a people for Himself. Be obedient to the Father because this was the plan of God from the beginning of creation that He would send His Son, and His Son would be obedient, and they would glorify one another. This is the message of the Gospel that you and I cling to. Jesus redefines the cross. What should have been His shame became His glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6 And even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, those who are perishing... The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who, let light, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the obedience of the Son doesn't lead to His shame. It leads to His glory. I love verse 4, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 6, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What, what the world, what unbelievers would see as shameful, God has said, no, that's glorious. That's a beautiful obedience of my son who took on the suffering that, that a people should have received and he took it on himself and bore it in his humanity. And then not only bore our punishment, but has given us his righteousness so that before the, the holy God this morning, you and I would stand not condemned, but free. Declared righteous by His faithful obedience, by His glorious obedience to the Father, Jesus despised the shame and glorifies the Father in the cross. Finally, we like Paul, we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus into what, what the world might see as shameful circumstances. We're called to follow Him and in following Him, in uniting ourselves to Christ, we are saved. Luke 9, 26. This is Jesus speaking to His disciples. And He says, For whoever is ashamed of Me and My words, of Him will the Son of Man be ashamed when He comes in His glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We have this moment to take hold of Jesus and say, I'm going to follow You. I won't be ashamed of the Gospel I long to know you and trust you. We get to do that today. Maybe some of us are waiting. We're thinking maybe one day I'll, I'll get there. But the reality is that today is the day of our salvation. Like if, you, if you're wrestling with that, today is the day that we get to claim, we get to say that we are not ashamed of the gospel. No, it's the, it's the power of God to save me, a sinner. God has done this beautiful work and he said that I can be a part of it. And so today I want to come and I want to take hold of that. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, says Jesus, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. And yet, he's coming in glory. But we don't have to be ashamed of those who are in Christ. There's a piece of this too that says not only is, should we not put on shame, but the circumstances that we're in would, would often cause us to be ashamed. And so one of the implications of the gospel, the way that this gets lived out in our lives, is that we don't have to walk in the shame of our circumstances. Our sin is washed away, so there's no shame for us to put on. But also, in, in that moment, in the brokenness, Things that sins that are done to us could also cause shame. And we don't have to put that shame on. We get to stand free and forgiven in Christ today. I love, if you know me, 
you already know this. I love Citizens. I, they're a great band. They sing a lot of beautiful songs. And you'll find me belting them often in my home. Um, but one of their songs is, I don't want to hide no more. And it says this, I can spend my life pretending that I'm better off alone, but I'm never really living if I'm never fully known. Yeah, and I, it may take forever before I'm finally whole. I don't want to hide no more. There's a power in me. I don't want to hide no more. It's setting me free. There's truth to this. Like this gospel that is the power of God to save is setting me free. It's, it's changing me so that I don't have to hide. I don't have to pretend that I have it all together anymore. I can be honest. Like, I've, I've made mistakes. I'm going to continue to make mistakes. But I don't have to hide in shame. You see, shame would want to run. Whereas the gospel calls us to repentance, which is not a hiding, but it's a confessing. It's a confessing both of who I am, but a further confession of who Jesus is. We can't hide in our shame. We do it all the time. And yet Jesus is inviting us to a freedom. A freedom outside of that shame that says, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That gospel has saved me. It is saving me. And it will completely save me one day where I won't, I won't even sin in this life anymore. Like I won't be in sin anymore. Can you imagine? There's going to be a day where you're not going to sin anymore. When Jesus comes and He, and he fulfills all of what He's said He's going to do. Where there will be no sin no shame, no sadness, no crying, no tears. Just Jesus. It's going to be beautiful. And yet we don't have to wait for heaven to experience that. We get to experience parts of that now. We don't have to hide in our shame. We get to come and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You see, God has saved a sinner like me. And because He has saved a sinner like me, I get to point to the beauty of the cross. That at the cross, all of my sin has been washed away. The blood that's been poured out has cleansed me. It makes me whole. And so we get to rejoice in this. We don't have to hide no more. 2 Timothy 1, 8-12. Paul's writing to Timothy and he's reminding Timothy of this. Like Timothy who believes and is proclaiming the Gospel. So if you think that at some point you're going to get you're going to be mature enough to where you don't need to remember the gospel anymore and you don't need to war against the idea that you might be ashamed of it. I, I don't know that we get there. Like We're continually walking in this life, reminding ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves that we desperately need. And so he reminds Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. 2 Timothy 1, 8-12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. How are you going to make it through suffering? How are you going to make it through the brokenness of this world? Is by believing that Jesus saves and it is the power of God for salvation for you and for me. How has he done this? Verse 9, who saved us and called us to be a holy calling called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before you and I even moved towards Him, He moved to us. He redeems us. 
While we were enemies, He's come and He's taken our hard hearts and He's given us a heart of flesh that would say, you're my God. Jesus, you're my Savior. You're the one that I need. Which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. How can we say we are not ashamed? Because we know who it is that has saved us. The only way that we would not be ashamed is if we know Jesus. And so I would say if, if we're battling shame, if we, we find ourselves fearful of sharing the good news of the gospel that is countercultural, that it can be re- ridiculous to the world, that, that's folly, foolishness, if we find ourselves you know, wrestling with that, then what, what's the antidote? To know Jesus. Because as we know Jesus, we cannot help but share the Jesus that we know. The one who has saved us, the one who has reconciled us, the one who has found us in our brokenness and taken our feet out of the miry clay and set them on the rock, the truth, and continues to change us and transform us into his image. That Jesus, that's the Jesus that we need to know and love. And as we know and love that Jesus, he shapes our hearts in such a way that every conversation and is infiltrated with the good news of the gospel. The way that we think, the way that we think about ourselves becomes infiltrated with the good news of the gospel. Like it just becomes this thing that we, we eat and drink and breathe and the way that we live life has an aroma. I love that. The, the way the apostles use that. There's an aroma of Christ to the church. He says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. This morning, the call then would be to know whom we have believed. To trust Jesus, the one who worked this beautiful gospel work on our behalf, and then calls us into suffering, calls us into laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel. This morning, if you're walking through suffering, say that, man, rejoice because Jesus is in the suffering with you. He is in your brokenness. If you're walking through uh, a life that doesn't look like suffering now, rejoice. Rejoice in the goodness of God and His mercy and His kindness towards you. Walk in that. Because the, the beauty is that we're not worried about our circumstances. We know the One who has saved us. Our eyes are taken off our circumstances and they're put on Jesus, the one who does not change. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 Peter 4, 13-16 says this, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. 
I pray that today we would take hold of this truth that Paul is resting in, that he's believing in, and we too will make that same proclamation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save sinners like us. So let's rejoice in that today. And I pray that it would change us so that we would, it, it would be true that we would really share this with our whole lives. Amen? God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your salvation. That we were, we were debtors. We could not walk in a righteousness of our own. None of us were good. And because we needed an we needed a righteousness to stand before a holy God. You came and you provided righteousness to us through your Son. Through the perfect life of Jesus, through his death that atones for sinners like me, I am made right with you, God. I pray that that would just resonate in our hearts in such a way that we, like Paul, would declare and proclaim, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to save. Lord, may we do that. And as we walk in that truth and it's proclaimed, Lord, may there be others who would hear and see you. God, and may they too say the same thing. They are not ashamed of the gospel that has saved them. Lord, so that you would receive all the glory that you're due. That you would be high and lifted up. God, that we would glorify your name. We pray that you would do this in and to and through us today. In your name we pray. Amen.